0: you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 17 as we continue our study here through this amazing book, a book that Dr. Harry Ironsides uh, called the Bible in miniature uh, because it has God's plan for the children of Israel. It has the plan of redemption. It has pictures of the Messiah. And so tonight we continue with these woes that have been passed down to the nations that surround uh, national Israel. And tonight, A very, very unique and a very specific uh, prophecy that regards the nation Syria and its capital Damascus and a very specific thing that's been said about that capital uh, that one day will be turned to a ruinous heap. And so before we read the word of God, let's pray and we'll pray for our president and for our governor and for those here in L.A. County who are making these tough decisions during this time. So would you join me in prayer, and then we'll read the word together. Father, we thank you for our leaders. Lord, your word commands us that we ought always to pray for those uh, who govern us. And so we do that tonight. We pray for Mayor Garcetti and the city council here in Los Angeles, the board of supervisors. We pray for our governor and our state senate and for our president, our Congress. Uh, Lord, those that are making the tough choices, for those in the CDC uh, that are trying to figure this whole thing out and come up with a cure, and at the same time, give us good guidance about what we ought to be doing at this time. We pray for those affected by the pandemic, those that have gotten sick, maybe those that have lost loved ones that haven't been able to really grieve properly because uh, they haven't even been able to hold the proper memorial service. And so, God, we ask that you would bring a swift end to this pandemic, Um, We ask that you would do great and mighty things, miraculous things. Lord, give wisdom to men. And Lord, as we open your word, we again trust you. We believe that you are a God who loves us. And so as we study your word, would you strengthen us to receive what it says, encourage us by it, help us to know that you do know what's going to happen, both today and also in the future And bless us now as we study your word in Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 17 in verse 1, the burden against Damascus, verse 1 says, behold, Damascus will cease from being a city, and it will be a ruinous. And that word ruinous is interesting in the Hebrew because it means literally annihilated heap, destroyed to such a, a, a place that it is no longer existent. And we'll dig into this with some great detail in our study tonight. The cities of Orar are forsaken, and that is the the region of Moab, so modern-day Jordan. So this is speaking forth both the present time in Isaiah's day, looking towards that time when Assyria would come into the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would take captive the northern kingdom, Ephraim, also known as Israel, and would attempt to attack and take Judah, the southern kingdom, but would fail at that. Judah will be not only spared, but miraculously spared. And we'll see that as we continue here in the book of Isaiah, where they are forsaken and they will be for flocks. In other words, they're gonna be scattered in essence, like people who would wander in that region like they still do today in parts of Jordan, parts of Israel, parts of what is called uh, the Palestinian territories and certainly parts of Lebanon and Syria uh, that we would call those who are Bedouins or those who are, don't have an actual place to live but move from place to place, which lie down uh, and no one will make them afraid. Uh, the fortress will also cease from Ephraim. And remember during this time that there are actually two fortified cities uh, that are the capitals of Ephraim. One is Shechem and one at Dan, so one in the very north and one near the southern border of the northern kingdom in Shechem, not too terribly far uh, from the city of Jerusalem. And so the kingdom from Damascus and the remnant of Syria, and they will be as for the glory of the children of Israel, says the Lord of hosts. And now notice again, turn your attention to this phrase, we'll see it multiple times in this passage, that in that day, featuring that time that we would call the last days, looking forward to a day and a time that to us tonight is still future. In that day, the time of Jacob's trouble, the day of the wrath of Almighty God, the time when the church is snatched away by force, raptured, harpazoed, the time when the church is taken out and God finally deals with sin, finally deals with the world for what they've done to Israel, according to the prophet Job. In that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall wane and the fatness of his flesh grow lean. In other words, it will be a tough time in Israel. And it shall be as when the harvester gathers grain and reaps the heads with his arm. And it shall be as he who gathers those heads of grain in the valley of Rephaim, and yet... Gleaning grapes will be left in it like the shaking of an olive tree. Two, three olives at the top uttermost and outermost bough. Four or five of its most fruitful branches says the Lord God of Israel. And so notice here that it's speaking very specifically of national Israel. It's not speaking of the church. It's not speaking of you and I as believers in Christ Jesus. It's speaking very specifically of Israel, And we're going to see that throughout the remainder of this chapter uh, as we continue down through verse 14. And then we're going to elucidate what's being said here. The Lord God of Israel, for in that day, again, we see that phrase, a man will look to his maker and his eyes will have respect for the Holy One of Israel. He will not look to the altars, to the works of his hands. He will not respect what his fingers has made, nor the wooden images of the incense altars. For in that day his strong cities will be forsaken. The bough and the uttermost branch, which was left because of the children of Israel, and there will be desolation, because you have forgotten the God of your salvation, and you have not been mindful of the rock of your stronghold, And therefore, you will plant pleasant plants and set out foreign seedlings. For in that day, again, same phrase, you will make your plant grow. And in the morning, you'll make your seed flourish. But the harvest will be a heap of ruins. In the day of grief and in desperate sorrow, woe to the multitude of people who make a noise like the roar of the seas to the rushing of nations and make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters and the nations will rush like the rushing of mighty waters and God will rebuke them and they will flee far away and be chased like chaff of the mountains before the wind, like the rolling thing before the whirlwind. Behold, even at eventide, there will be trouble and before the morning, He is no more. This is the portion of those who plunder us, the lot of those who rob us. An interesting prophecy regarding national Syria, the country that we today call Syria, and its capital, Damascus. Notice it is focused clearly the burden of Damascus. It's going to be taken away. And As Isaiah kind of turns this passage towards Damascus, he obviously still has in view the impending Assyrian invasion, which will happen, and the northern kingdom of Israel will be confederated together in a, in a loose group, an alliance, a political alliance, if you will, with their two capital cities in Shechem and in Dan, and they're going to try and withstand this onslaught of the Assyrian army. Um, they're they're going to confederate together, if you will. In other words, pull together as one and try and make a confederated army to come together. But it's going to be completely useless. It will not stop the Assyrian invasion. Matter of fact, the Assyrians will not only come and take, they will absolutely uh, come into the land and they'll come through Damascus in doing so. But the question becomes, did the Assyrian army actually destroy Damascus? And this is where this is important because if you look at history, we have actually tremendous recordings uh, from the tablets that we found in a very large library located in modern day um, Mosul or Nineveh. Um, We have multiple accounts of this particular onslaught of the Assyrian army as they came through the land under Tiglath Pileser II, uh, as they moved into this region, and the Assyrian army swept through the land, and they did take this region, but they did not ever record destroying Damascus. And so, because that has never happened, and because if you wanted to go do a Google search right now, world's oldest continuous inhabited cities at the top of most of those lists is going to be the city of Damascus. And by some accounts, the city of Damascus has been, uh, if you happen to believe that there's been such a time in human history, uh, some accounts it says it's been inhabited for 11,000 years, but the most common uh, would be at least 4,500 years of continuously being inhabited as a city. Never left as a ruin, always having some people in it. And so when this prophecy is made, this puts this in a spot to where we can identify it on a timeline of what Isaiah was seeing and why he was seeing it. Because though there are some well-respected biblical scholars who would probably disagree with the assertions that I'm making here, and they would say, yeah, well, it was destroyed and it really wasn't a city, and all of that uh, from a certain perspective would be true, But the city itself has never been destroyed. It's why some of the oldest buildings uh, that have been inhabited for a long period of time exist anywhere in the world, exists uh, in Damascus, Syria. And interestingly enough, Syria has taken the world stage, especially in the last 10 years or so, as perhaps the greatest archenemy of the nation Israel. For those of you that are students of history, uh, you can probably look at what's going on in Syria and, and ask yourself a, a handful of questions. And where does Syria spend most of their time uh, looking when they're looking for something to happen? There's really a couple of countries that are high on their list. Uh, Iran would certainly be one of those. Uh, Syria would be the top on the list because they're the largest country that borders them with a the military. And then, of course, Lebanon, which is supported largely by Iran and its proxy, Hezbollah. Uh, And so Syria then becomes this kind of center of controversy uh, that if you look back on what's happened, especially over the last maybe 10 to 15 years, Israel has continuously been forced to fly sorties with F-15s and F-16s over Syria and bomb targets where the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, the Al-Quds Force, Muslim Brotherhood, ISIS, ISIL, whatever you would like to call that group of people, the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, have all been staging weapons. And in fact, in in 2008, uh, the Israeli Air Defense Forces flew a raid deep into Syrian territory and blew up what has now been come to know and become to known as a Uh, nuclear reactor that was under construction that was funded and technologically uh, put together by the North Koreans and aided by the Iranians. And so there is a reason that I believe this prophecy lies unfulfilled, because it is coming in the future, and it may not be the too distant future. So when I look back through history, the only reference that I find to really the city of Damascus in, in the period of, say, 2,000 or 2,500 years before the coming of Christ, that the city was ever uh, close to decimated was in 732 by Tiglath-Pileser. And he actually says he doesn't destroy the city. And so Damascus has been there. Damascus is certainly in the midst of what's going on in the Middle East today. Damascus still is, is on the center, and Damascus, strangely enough, uh, when you look on a map, people think of Damascus, Syria, and Jerusalem and Israel, and they think of these two countries, or they think of Lebanon and and its capital, Beirut, or maybe you think of Amman, Jordan. Uh, perhaps you're thinking of Cairo, and just like this must be massive. These are these are. These are countries. But if you look on a map, as the crow flies from the Golan Heights in northern Israel, if you were to fly in a straight line to Damascus, it's only about 60 kilometers. It's less than 40 miles. And so it is very close to the border of Israel. And so though the Jewish people are called occupiers, and the world still says that the Golan Heights actually belongs to Syria, uh, it belongs to Israel because it was given to them by God. That is the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I had the privilege of standing up on top of Mount Bental a couple of years ago with my uh, friend Amar Safati. And as we you know talked about what was going on, uh, the year before we'd been standing in that same region and watched an Israeli airstrike on a missile site that was within sight of where we were standing. And so... Syria has been provoking Israel for a very, very, very long time. And the hope, I believe, is that Israel will respond and that would pull the Arab world into it. Well, we have a situation that Scripture describes as we look at this burden of Damascus, as we think about it in that sense, that is described for us in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And we call it this Gog or Magog conflict. We call it a war that ultimately uh, is going to be fought uh, with Russia in the lead and a number of predominantly Arab nations. And when I say that, I want to be very, very careful because not every Muslim, not every Muslim is a hate-filled person. Not every Muslim uh, wants war. Not every Muslim uh, is, is... looking for the destruction of Israel. But there is a very large percentage within a certain sector of the Muslim population of the Middle East that has pronounced very loudly and very proudly that their sole goal is to destroy national Israel and countries have made it their ambition and goal, especially Iran and especially Syria and Lebanese Hezbollah to push Israel into the sea, to see to it that it doesn't have a place to exist. And so Israel has a problem, and that problem is described uh, as having ultimately a conflict that involves these nations that surround Israel today that are predominantly Muslim. And so what do we see when we look at Syria today, as we look more closely, uh, as you look at the forces that are in the region, Hamas, the PLO, the Muslim Brotherhood, Islamic Jihad, all kind of operating under the blind eye uh, of the president of Syria, Bashar al-Assad. Assad has bombed his own people. He's used chemical weapons on his own people. Uh, he is no friend to Israel. And the problem is, is he doesn't have the technology, he doesn't have the weaponry uh, to, to fight Israel on his own, so he's enlisted the help of the Russians. And so if you go to the port of TARDIS and find out whose ships there, it's not going to be Syrian ships. It isn't the Syrian Navy. It's the Russian Navy. They moved out of the Black Sea and into the port of TARDIS. When you, when you look at who's manning their radar installations, when you look at who's manning their anti-aircraft missiles, it's the Russians. And so when you read what's going on in Ezekiel 38 and 39, you're going to find that what it looks like is Isaiah had a picture of the same thing that Ezekiel had a picture of, and that is in the very last days, there's going to be a conflict in the Middle East, and it's going to include the destruction of this city that has been inhabited for the last at least 4,500 years. Has Syria been taunting Israel? Most definitely. In some cases, there are drone flights almost daily. Or missile strikes. If you travel in with us to the northern uh, portions of Israel, when you get into the Golan Heights, when you get to the northern end of the Hula Valley, which uh, abuts Lebanon, I've, I've driven right up to. We took our tour buses to within a hundred yards of the border of Lebanon. We're looking at the buildings all pockmarked with bullets, or still burnt-out tanks, and all those types of things from the nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties. Uh, The various incursions that happened uh, where Israel's had to defend their northern border. So bad is the conflict in that region that tonight, uh, if you build a home in the northern portions of Israel, you have to build it with a safe room, a bomb-proof room, because of the volatility of that region of the world. And so there's a reason that Isaiah looks forward into the future and said, one day, Damascus is going to be made a ruinous heap. And so the question becomes for us, when will that happen? And I happen to think it is during the Gog-Magog conflict. Not so much the tribulation itself or at the Battle of Armageddon, it certainly won't happen in the millennial reign of Christ, but in the run-up to those events, that finally as the Russian army joins in with this confederation of predominantly Muslim nations, as they seek to press to to eliminate Israel, to finish off what started under the hand of the Assyrians, which was continued under the hand of the Babylonians, which was aided by the hand of Hitler, which was also aided by the the Roman army. You, You see, the devil's been trying to wipe out national Israel for a long time. And he's been unsuccessful. It's a reason that Winston Churchill himself said, if you want a reason to believe in God, you need to look no further than the existence of Israel. That it's still there is a, is a miracle. And so as you look at this battle that will finally take place, not very far uh, from the center of all things Israeli, which would be Jerusalem, Right now, you, you, you wouldn't think of a nuclear strike in Damascus because there's no reason to do that. But what would happen if Russia was all of a sudden the aggressor? What would happen if, as it did happen in 2008, uh, Russia sent up uh, jets into the sky with unknown weaponry and the Israelis responded in like kind? What would happen? Check out the implications there in verses 12 and 14. Woe to the multitude of many people which make a noise like the noise of the seas and the rushing of nations to make a rushing like mighty waters. Now, we've looked at this phraseology before. People have been equated to the seas. And the noise that they make is like the the rushing of many people. Nations shall rush in. Notice it says what it is. The nations will rush in like the rushing of many waters but God himself will rebuke them. Strangely enough, your Bible says that during the last days, God himself is going to have to miraculously defend Israel. And so notice the repetition. In that day. Could this be alluding to another Arab assault, just as happened at the forming of the nation, nineteen? Forty-eight, just as happened again in 1968, just as happened again in 1973, just as happened in 1980s and the 1990s, and just as continues uh, to this day is, is Israel has to defend itself. An interesting, as early as 1976, the, the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency here in this country, uh, believed that Israel had nuclear weapons. But what they didn't know and couldn't confirm was how many they had and of what size. By 2002, we figured out that Israel uh, has been manufacturing their own nuclear weapons. They possess someplace between 75 and 200 of them, each of them in the multiple megaton range. Why would a country that is one-third the size of San Bernardino County to the east of us need those kinds of numbers of nuclear weapons unless they were going to have to defend themselves on all borders, unless they were going to have to do something drastic. And in fact, during the 1967 war, Israel initiated what was then known as the Samson option. I believe it's still called the same thing today. And that's basically Israel's nuclear deterrence strategy. And they, in fact, did put jets in the air uh, with nuclear weapons, fearing that they were going to lose the six-day war. And believing that they were about to be exterminated, uh, they put those jets in the air. Now, notice that it says in one evening until the next morning there in verse 14, this decisive victory where Damascus is annihilated happens. I believe the only way that can happen is is a nuclear weapon. Damascus is a large city. And the only way it could be completely annihilated uh, is something that could annihilate an entire city. And when you add in the caveat that it has to be overnight, it almost assuredly uh, looks like there's going to be another war in that region where Israel is going to have to defend itself, likely with nuclear weapons. That's one of the reasons as we've kind of watched what's happened in the Middle East over the last couple of decades especially, but certainly in the last 10 or 15 years, as Hezbollah, which is really an arm of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, as they've been armed by Iran— As Syria has gotten technology from both Russia, North Korea, and Iran, as we've seen those nations rise up around Israel, they now have technology and they now have weaponry that's going to leave Israel very little chance to defend themselves, save very extreme measures. Why would that be necessary? Because... The whole world wants Israel to give up more of their land. They don't have any land. They can't give up any more land for peace. There's no land to give. Parts of Israel are so narrow now that they're a scant five miles wide. And if you're talking about from west to east, there's no part of Israel that's more than 50 miles wide. Now, for those of us who live in the LA Basin, uh, you, you know, we think of 50 miles as, is insignificant here in the state of California. Our state is 900 miles long. It's over 100 miles wide universally. That's our state. Now imagine your whole nation's existence is split up with a pocket of resistance called the West Bank in the center of it, another area called East Jerusalem, and another area called the Gaza Strip. They're all occupied by people that don't have your best interest in mind and you're surrounded by nations that have categorically said that they would just assume you didn't exist. You you better have a strong deterrent force. And so in this passage, it seems as though someday, and I don't believe it's gonna happen tomorrow, but I am not the Lord. And so I won't go so far as to say I don't know. I, or I will say I don't know, but I won't say that I do know, Israel is going to have to defend itself. We we constantly hear things in the news while well, Israel's using disproportionate force. Israel has no space. They, they they can't afford to allow anyone to set up shop on their borders that have would have a force that would be sufficient to to wipe them out. That happened in 1973 during during the Yom Kippur War. And were it not for a miraculous battle, and it is in a place called the Valley of Tears, where 10,000 Syrian tanks, Russian Syrian tanks, I might add, uh, tried to pour over the border through the Golan Heights. If they had not been stopped there, uh, the country would have been lost in 1973. But They were stopped there, miraculously. You can see the wreckage of the tanks that are still on that battlefield today. So when will this happen? Mm, It may not be too distant in the future. If Iran keeps pursuing nuclear weapons, if Bashar al-Assad continues to support Hezbollah by giving them ground, and military uh, installations to occupy, we don't know. But the fact of the matter is, the stage is set. And so after Damascus is gone, what's next on God's prophetic plan? Well, what's next on God's prophetic plan is found there in Revelations 6-19. to 19. And so this timing of the destruction of Damascus, though that itself may happen before the church is raptured out, it's possible. Certainly once it's happened, the church is not long for this earth because what will unfold next will undoubtedly be the rise of the Antichrist and ultimately this battle that will happen at the end that we call the Battle of Armageddon. So keep your eyes on Israel, keep your eyes on Iran, keep your eyes on Syria. It's true, the Assyrians came and they took the northern tribes out but they never conquered Judah. And in fact, as we look at this passage in light of the totality of scripture, uh, the Assyrians did trample Damascus, but they didn't completely destroy it. And so it leaves this particular piece of prophetic information unfulfilled at this point in time. And so to that end, what happened with Assyria was kind of small potatoes. Assyria marches, they do their worst. The Assyrians were extremely cruel. Uh, they did things like impale people and put them on the sides of the roads just as a warning to those that uh, would come and try and fight against them. And so you can kind of see how these phrases like people would be left like the gleanings of an olive tree, there'd just be a handful of people left. That The Assyrians did that. And in fact, they populated the northern kingdom, if you will, Uh, with their own offspring that we come to know as the Samaritans, largely half-Jewish, half-Assyrian. The Jewish men were wiped out. The record of history, uh, these cities that were laid siege to, uh, nobody wanted to face the Assyrians, just like no one wanted to face the Romans. They did horrible things, gouged out eyes, pulled out tongues, all kinds of atrocities, and there's an interesting thing that is found in one of those very popular books of the Bible for Sunday school, and that's the story of Jonah. Jonah was told to go preach to Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrians. And he refused to do it. He said, Look, I'm not going. I refuse to go. And Jonah tells us why because he did not want them to find God's favor. In other words, he didn't want them to repent. And in fact, at the end of the book of Jonah, if you read that little tiny four chapter book, the reason is given why God spares them. He doesn't spare them for the sake of the Assyrian armies and the warriors and and everyone else. God actually did spare the Assyrians in that sense. He spared them, scripture says, because of the, 120,000 little children in that city that are so small that they did not know what their right hand was doing nor their left. And so God takes care of the innocent and God will take care of the innocent in these countries that will ultimately come against the Jewish people. And just as if this were to happen in the near future, there would undoubtedly be catastrophic death tolls. But as you look at what, going on in the world right now uh, we're being we're seeing the stage set for these types of things because the world the whole world is on edge right now. Our city's on edge people are looking for answers and the answer is found in the grace of God. So this whole plan as you can see kind of begins to fit together. Assyria is getting ready to move against Moab so in Isaiah's time these things that are mentioned here in the first part of this chapter they're going to happen. The cities that are in Moab are going to be taken. The northern kingdom, they're going to be taken. But that invasion was just simply a preview of that phrase, in that day, a man will look to his maker. You see, there's going to come a point in time when the children of Israel are going to see their maker. They're going to understand that that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by him. They will, as Zachariah declares, mourn the one whom they pierced. They will come to faith, as Paul said, as a people, that all Israel will one day be saved. And the run-up to that, the lead-up to that, is this little prophetic foregleam here in Isaiah 17, where God's word declares that the city of Damascus, which stands today, and has stood since well before Isaiah wrote these words, the better part of 2,000 years before Isaiah wrote these words. The Assyrians kind of picture the, the armies of the tribulation. They're going to be massive. They're going to be gathered together in the Valley of Jehoshaphat and in the valley called Megiddo, or the Valley of Jezreel, the plains of Escadralian. And so as that army gathers to come against Israel one last time, God steps into that scene and Jesus himself comes back and slays them with a sword that comes out of his mouth with the fire from his eyes. And he says, look, did I not come? No one would survive, but the Lord will come and the Lord will prevail. Because the story that's in this particular passage is the same story that's gonna happen during the time that we call the tribulation. And that is God always wins. God never loses. He always wins. God's gonna wipe out the Assyrians. We're gonna see that as we move through the book of Isaiah. And he's gonna do it in miraculous fashion. It's not gonna be left. And and as the Assyrians came and conquered, basically he's saying, look, they're not gonna conquer Judah. And he's telling the Jewish people, don't worry about it. You're you're not gonna have to fight this battle. Notice the end of this chapter. The nations will rush like the rushing of many waters, but God will rebuke them and they'll flee away. They'll be chased like chaff of the mountains before the wind. If you go up on top of a mountain and you have wheat and you're trying to separate the chaff, when you throw your wheat up in the air to separate the the hull, the kernel, and the chaff, That chaff blows away to a place you'll never find it because you're on the top of a mountain. It goes further than if you were on flat ground. God's basically saying, look, I will blow them so far away, nobody will find them. Israel's enemies will one day be defeated. Like the rolling thing before the whirlwind. In other words, just like a tumbleweed. If you've been here in Southern California for long enough to remember we had a lot of open space, you remember the tumbleweeds used to pile up along the freeway fences as they blow through a field. Like a rolling thing, they would just be blown away. And behold, before evening, before eventide, trouble, before the morning, the enemies of Israel will be no more, for this is the portion of those who plunder us. The us is Israel, national Israel. And the lot of those who rob us, that us is national Israel. That's why it's a dangerous thing to come against the apple of God's eye, the nation Israel. That's why those who prosper them will be prospered. That's why those who bless them will be blessed and those who curse them will be cursed. And during this time, Hezekiah is busy, busy building this tunnel that we walk through on our tours, this, this water course to feed the city. And so as Judah, its capital city, Jerusalem, is being prepared to survive this onslaught, God is behind the scenes saying, I've got this. don't let Hezekiah lead you in false trust is is what the enemies, the Assyrians were saying. They they bring out their best smooth talkers. They said, don't follow God. Don't listen to his word. Don't do what he says. Don't believe him. I mean, look where you are now. The Northern tribes are gone and, and we're knocking on your door. Believe us, don't believe God. And maybe some of you tonight are in that same place. You're saying to yourself, this this COVID-19 thing, this is more than I can handle. I don't know that I wanna put my trust in a God I can't see. Well, that God you can't see is mightier than all the armies of the earth and he's mightier than COVID-19 and he will win. And we will win in him in that sense. Hezekiah would win. Hezekiah is gonna take this letter, he's gonna spread it out before the Lord and he's gonna say, look, this is what they're doing and God's gonna deliver on the promise that he's gonna protect them. And so I encourage you, church, are you ready for the rapture? Are you rapture ready? Syria during that time, the Assyrians was a toothless lion. Israel was actually the real powerhouse. Why? Because they trusted God. And in that same sense tonight, we have the same power that Israel trusted as we trust the Lord for our circumstance and situations. We give him all that we have and we, we rest in him. We know that we have all that we have need of if we'll turn our eyes upon him. But if we begin to trust in the world, if we start making allegiances and alliances with the enemy, if we start turning away from the word of God and turning towards this world that we're not supposed to trust in, then we lose that hand of blessing. And so I just want to encourage you, stay strong, be courageous. Take the encouragement of Joshua, the Lord is with us. And so one day, there's going to be some trouble in the Middle East. The good news for those of us who love the Lord, it's nothing to fear. It's just going to be the beginning of the very end. And so keep your eyes on Jesus. Be ready for the rapture. Stay in his word. And get ready for the Lord's gonna do, for what the Lord's gonna do with us as a church when we get back together. Because there's gonna be a world out there looking for answers. And we have them right here in his word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the sure word of prophecy. And Lord, we believe these words are true that in that day, Though the world's gonna rise up against your people, Israel, you're going to defend them. And that no matter what Bashar al-Assad is planning and whether he's backed by the Russians and the Iranians and the Lebanese army and Egypt and Iraq, it won't prevail because the strong hand of our God is for that tiny little nation and for us as people. And so we rest in you. We trust in you. We thank you for your word. Bless us with strength. Encourage us in these last days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.